Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Ministry of Helps podcast. This is Jim Patton. I'm your host. And this uh, podcast can be found at iTunes. It can be found at the Google Play Store. You can find it on Podbean and, of course, at our own website, moh.org. That's podbean.com or the Podbean webcast, which you, or what's the, what do you call it? the app, the, the Podbean app that you can use to listen on your phone or your tablets or whatever, whether you're on iOS or Android, either one. And uh, we're going to continue with what I thought was going to be a continuation of the last episode because the last episode was had to do with the divine order of truth. And this uh, tape was, was uh, labeled divine order of truth number two. But in reality, it turns out it was um, a question and answer uh, period for the whole, the whole sessions I've been having uh, all week there. So if you're uh, interested in just hearing what kind of questions people had and how, uh, how Winky answered them, then get ready because we're going to get right into it. Uh, this tape entitled uh, Divine Order Number 2, which is really just a question and answer period. Here we go. These, uh, this is your golden opportunity to ask questions on what we have dealt with so far. And format is ask the question and I'll try and give you some... Uh, oh, you had a mic there to pass around. Oh, no, you haven't. Uh, if you have a question, tell me shortly so that I can repeat the question for the benefit of the tape. Okay, questions, yes? Uh, when you talk about the way God looks at the devil and doesn't rejoice in you know, his fall and that kind of thing, is there direct scripture that bears this out or is that just a follow-up of God's nature? It, uh, the scripture that came to mind when I saw that was this not even the archangels bring railing accusation against the devil. And the question is, uh, when we talked about earlier the thought that the devil, even the devil himself, God will not badmouth or rail against. Uh, his worst enemy, God hates to see mistreated or misused or uh, un... Uh, truthfully spoken of. In other words, when God does something, it is always injustice and truth and genuine uh, love and concern. And he does not rejoice against the bad things that happen to those even who are his worst enemies. And the question is, is that something that is characteristic of his character or is that a specific scripture? Um, I think of a number of scriptures like, for instance, this one in Ezekiel, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So God does not enjoy judgment that has to fall when a wicked man is punished. He gets no pleasure out of that. Another scripture we mentioned is the archangel Michael in contending for the body of Moses durst not bring a railing accusation against the devil but said, the Lord rebuke you. So there is a, God rebukes, he corrects, he judges and chastises, but he does not enjoy uh, seeing even his worst enemy hurt or mistreated or unjustly dealt with, which is quite unlike human beings who enjoy seeing the enemies put down and enjoy it when the enemy makes a tragic blunder that leads to all kinds of disaster for him. Matter of fact, I believe this. God loves you, even if you're the rottenest sinner in the world, as much as he loves his own son. 
because see when the fall took place man changed but God didn't God has always loved man he has the same concern in his heart for mankind and that's why he loves sinners he loves them God does not love sinners in a manipulative way we love people in order for them to do something God loves them just because he loves them if God was selfish like us, he would forgive all people because that's the way his emotions run. He is an exceedingly loving, merciful, forgiving God. And justice, his justice has to come out of his wisdom. When he judges, it is something which his own wisdom uh, requires him so to do. But it's not something he enjoys. And many times, those of you who have studied Gordon, Olson's manual is seen many times. In the midst of judgment, God, without any sign or evidence of repentance, has just stopped and halted it. Couldn't go on any further. He stopped doing it. And that ought to condition our response to, to people who don't know God. We ought not to um, we ought not to project to a person who does not know the Lord an attitude of superiority or snottiness or anything like that. We ought to to the first impression they meet is here is somebody who really loves me and really cares about me. Not in order to get something out of me. Every cult in the world will say nice things to you to get something out of you. But I've seen God heal people who get up healed atheists. I've seen him doing beautiful things for people who had no intention of serving him at all. And he does it not in order that they may do things, but just because he likes them. You know? Because he's that kind of God. Okay, yes. Uh, we see that in the steps you gave that Revelation is one of the uh, the first steps by which God speaks to man and the lack of it today. In the last days in the outpour of the Holy Spirit, how is God going to get that revelation through to people being they're close to it now? What's going to change so the revelation will be able to be received? question is, we we know that predicted in scripture there is a prophesied a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and if revelation is so important to transformation in people's lives how is God going to get through that revelation to people who at the moment seem so hard and so close God's revelation by the way is going on continuously in the world and uh, the problem with man is that he does not respond to that still small voice. Um, many years ago, I did an essay for the Billy Graham Decision magazine, and one of the, it was supposed to be an essay of 800 words or less on why I believe in God, and I thought, uh, many times the people who are writing essays for this will probably write a testimony, and I thought that's not the only reason why I believe in God. I met him, but there's a ton of reasons why I believe in him. So I did a little apologetic in a three verse thing, and one of the one of the things that became obvious in the writing out of that apologetic is that there are very many people who speak as if God is not real except when it comes to times of great crisis in their own life. So one of the lines in that little free verse thing said, Yes, I knew men who said there was no God, but I listened as they died and I knew that they had lied. And that in times of stress and pressure when it's life and death issues 
people remember revelation they've already had. And the old thing, no atheists in foxhole things in the war situation. So again, we come back to what we have not been able to accomplish by all of our preaching, teaching, proclaiming. God may arrange circumstances because he, he himself is actively speaking to man. And if they don't respond, he must intensify the means he have of getting our attention. And those means, again, are listed in Scripture. We have, if people do not respond to the voice and the words of the prophets, then he has various ways of doing things. Economics, ecology, the invasion, another war, uh, famine, disease, death. He has all these different interesting ways. Okay? Uh, yes? Okay. God is all-knowing, loving, and his forgiveness is everlasting. Right? And if anyone repents of their sins and asks forgiveness, they shall be saved. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay, but how come God's love doesn't seep into the heart of the devil? And if the devil were to repent of his sins, and, you know, ask forgiveness, would he go to heaven? Okay, to heaven? let's see if I can restate that. God is a forgiving, kind, just, loving God who would be willing to save anybody who honestly repents and turns to him. Now, if this be so, and God loves the devil too, uh, how come the devil isn't saved? Or why doesn't he respond to that love from God? The answer to that is probably complex, but a couple of suggestions on that line would be one this. Before the devil sinned, there was no sin in the universe. And there may not have been provision made for sin. That's quite possible. There was no sin in the universe, no rebellion. And the angels, uh, nobody had ever seen the results of rebellion at that time. So there was no precedence on which to base any decision. When the devil sinned, it set a precedent. Now there was rebellion in the universe, but there was rebellion from beings that would live forever by nature of their design. So when mankind was built, because now there was already rebellion in the universe, a death penalty was instituted so that if a person became rebellious and independent, they could only be like that for so long, and then they would be cut off. Otherwise, you'd have a whole bunch of new devils. And with that proviso made, also a provision was made with the atonement in mind that if man ever sinned, there would be a way back and a substitute made. Now it appears, uh, and to understand this, we have to back up a little bit. Here are three equations that have to do with light and knowledge and responsibility. The first one is knowledge equals responsibility, and that knowledge is light. It's true revelation knowledge. When you know something and God speaks to you, not just be informed about it, but really be spoken to by God, that knowledge equals responsibility. So we, we could put that down as an equation. It would look like this. I'm getting a slight ring on my thing. Um, knowledge equals responsibility. All right? Plenty of scriptures on that. If you're blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. Woe unto you, Chorazin, beside of the mighty works were done, and you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah. They were long ago repented in dust and ashes. 
Jesus said to the Pharisees, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Knowledge equals responsibility. All right, second equation would go, responsibility accepted equals further light or further revelation. Responsibility accepted equals further light. If there be first a willing mind, it is accepted to what a man, according to what a man hath, and not according to what he hath not. Scripture says, for instance, he that is faithful in few things, him will I make ruler over many things. If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God. The obedience to light results in further light. And then there is the opposite corollary to this, or cor how do you guys say it in America? Corollary. Corollary. Cor what? Corollary. We say corollary. Say corollary or coronary. <laughs> Responsibility rejected. PA man, can you cut me back just a tiny little fraction? I'm here in a ring. It's driving me bananas. Responsibility rejected equals guilt. And persistent in judgment. Anybody think of any scriptures on that? Wages of sin is death. Well, that's kind of the final one. Yeah. Uh, boy, that is final. Um, responsibility rejected equals guilt. Again, that Pharisee one then. If you are blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, and you're not changing, therefore your sin remaineth. Um, uh, unto him, maybe this will help you understand verses like this. To him that hath, to more shall be more shall be given, and from him that hath not shall be ta even taken away even that which he hath. Now, isn't that a strange scripture? I'll say that again. Unto him that hath shall more be given, but him that, that hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. Now, what does that mean? It simply means this: that if you obey the little light you have, God will give you more. But if you disobey the small light you have, God will actually begin to remove light and revelation from your life because he is kind. The devil is not. The devil doesn't care how much light you have. He will increase it in every possible way, providing you do not repent. If I was a devil, I would teach people as much as possible and not require any change at all. Because he knows this. The more light you have, the more responsible you become, and if you don't change, you'll either, first you'll feel rotten, and secondly, you'll eventually be as damned as he is. So God being kind, if a person begins to reject light, God goes out of his way even to remove light from him to help lessen this burden that he carries and to show him through his growing craziness. I was smarter than this before I got into this weird idea. Get a Harvard graduate sitting down on the grass you know, worshipping his own picture, then he ought to come to the conclusion, hey, wait a minute, this is stupid. You know, five years ago, before I got into this advanced consciousness, I was really bright. Now look at me. Um, you know, so... 
There it is. Now, on the basis of those equations, then, this ought to answer something about why, why, why can the devil be saved? The more light you sin against, the greater your guilt. And there comes a point when more light only increases your damnation. Now, the greatest thing God can do to bring a man or woman to repentance is the cross of Christ, the love of God as expressed in Calvary. And as, uh, as Attorney Rawlson said, if the love of God revealed on Calvary cannot change a man's heart, nothing, not even a million years in hell, will ever alter his character. Therefore, when you turn down that, that revelation of God's goodness in the cross to you, you sin against a light which is a sin unto death. So, it's not a matter of him not wanting to, it's a matter of light being the way that God brings conviction. And if a person sins against more light, then more light added to that light is only increasing his guilt. The devil knows he was there in Calvary. He knows all of those things. But it has not changed his life. Instead, his uh, pride has continually led him on further and further to uh, confrontation. By the way, here's another little question. Why doesn't God just kill the devil? Wouldn't that take care of a lot of problems? You ever wondered that? By the way, it's not a fight between God and the devil. You need to know that. Not like fight between me and, uh, I'm going to say Muhammad Ali, but perhaps I better change my <laughs> illustration. Who's that guy from Detroit that's a hit man? One hit near it. Uh, forgotten his name. Like a fight between me and the old Muhammad Ali. I mean the young Muhammad Ali. Two hit fight. He hits me, I hit floor. There would not be any big contest at all between God and the devil. It's not like two equal powers locked in mortal combat. That is peanut versus infinite. You know, that's not a fight. The only uh, thing that goes on between God and the devil is kind of a legal allowance. The devil is accuser. That word is a legal term. It's like a prosecuting attorney. And the only thing going on between God and the devil sort of goes like this. The devil says, well, you won, but that's just because you're bigger. You know, if I only was allowed to have my way, I could show that the whole world would be much better my way. And God says, you're going to be judged. Yeah, but, you know, you just haven't given me time. But God says, well, I'll give you what every sinner has, time. But you get more than others. You can try your theories out and demonstrate every um, randomized version of it. You can try all the permutations and combinations. And when you've exhausted them, those, and you've tried all the variations out, I'll tell you this is the way it is. So the devil has tried all the variations out. He's getting a bit desperate now. He's run the same variations many different ways, and his premise is selfishness equals happiness. God's is giving up the selfishness and serving is happiness. And the devil will be judged. His time has come. He's running out of time now, and that's why God hasn't judged him earlier. He gives people chances, even devils get their chance. Not to repent, but to prove their point. 
God doesn't want to run a power trip on you. you know? So that's why I think much of that legal language. It's a legal thing. It's like, well, look at this guy. He only serves you because, Job, for instance. Look at this guy. He only serves you because you blessed him. He's selfish. He's, he's in my camp. See? If you took away the protection from mine, then he'd curse you. Well, go ahead, God says. Only you can't kill him. So the devil strips everything from Job, and what does Job do? I'll forget it. I'm going to be a Satanist. No, he doesn't. He says, I came into the world with nothing, and I guess I'll leave with it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And God says to the devil, have you considered my servant Job that he's perfect? And he's upright. Still, he holds fast his integrity. Yeah, but skin for skin, a guy will swap everything he's got to save his own neck. He'll pass up his family and his home as long as he's preserved. You touch him personally, I bet he'll curse you. He's still selfish. Well, you can touch him, but you can't kill him. Boom, boils. His wife, who's been reading Fascinating Womanhood, comes up and says, why don't you kill yourself? And Job says, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. He didn't know it was the devil. Just didn't understand, but he had a Christian heart, see? Heart that said, listen, I'm going to love God even if he kills me. And that really bothered the devil no end, and still does. God's premise is, I can have men and women who live just like me. And the devil says, nobody can do that. They all got to be like me. You're out for number one. Do, your, do unto others before they do you. You know, that's the devil's fundamental premise. So it's a legal thing that's going on in the universe. What are the ultimate wars, beings that can manipulate matter and energy by voice? What's the ultimate war? The ultimate war is a war with the mind, with the heart, with the spirit. It's not a war with physical things at all. How do you shoot bullets at beings that can transmute energy and matter like that? The real war is a war for minds and allegiances and loyalties, and it involves conflict. You know, the heavy-duty wars are the ones that involve complex political manipulations and all these things. That's the war that's going on now. You talk about chess. <laughs> Okay, does that help a little bit? Yeah, I just thought, well, maybe in perfect love you should pray for the devil to get saved with them. No, it's not going to help him. We can pray for some of his friends. It might help them. The only thing I said that for you is our attitude is so snotty unless we understand that Christ is a servant. You come on like, you know, chief guru number three to the average sinner, even, you know, the average cultist, he's proud already. He thinks, why should you witness to me? I should be witnessing to you. I'm the one with the truth. What do you know? See? So the attitude of Christian has the exact opposite. The devil will encourage us to have the same attitude and say different things. And all you wind up is two proud people arguing with each other. All right. Yes? Could you give some examples of psychic technology? Yes, I can. Uh, psychic technology would involve, first of all, the, the uh, new forms of techniques that are being used. And, uh, for instance, like in holistic health, various forms of um, uh, techniques for um, uh, often borrowed from Eastern meditative techniques perhaps uh, yogic disciplines, 
original design was to yoke you back or reunion you with ultimate reality, being brought in as part and parcel of the training. Um, the whole concern people have, for instance, in the medical field with people's entire health, not just their physical bodies, but also their emotional and mental and their spiritual lives, will result in the importing of various Eastern techniques and thought forms and disciplines which are linked with illumination, occult, perception uh, principles that are, that are born in. Another thing would be the whole emphasis today on um, parapsychology with uh, you can go to the popular media if you want to look at examples of that the Fury, Carrie um, movies like this in which uh, children uh, are portrayed as having um, powers of mind that are just discovered and are being tapped by military intelligence or uh, their children that finally lash out because their strangeness has isolated them in psychic destruction to people around um, military people spending uh, huge chunks of government money on psychic research for what they call espionage, ESP I-O-N-I-A-G, um, the search for extraterrestrial civilizations, close encounters of a third kind, the hunger to plug into perhaps the galactic brotherhood, which would give us the secrets of immortality, uh, victory over cancer and death, and all of these things in exchange for joining the galactic allegiance. Um, uh, another example of force in Star Wars would be a prime example. Darth Vader and the Grand Moff Tarkin and the first Star Wars really represent those two things married in an easy alliance. Darth Vader representing the, the uh, dark side of the Force, which to George Lucas is all living beings that die, their life energies link up like cells in a giant cosmic overmind. And all living beings who are sensitive to this force, which is impersonal, but consists of the life energies of all dead beings connected together, can tap and plug into that and thus gain the whole power and intelligence of those previous life forms together. And that's the force to George Lucas. Uh, Star Wars, of course, and The Empire Strikes Back contain, uh, scattered through them, some very heavy biblical parallels, which are borrowed subconsciously, mostly, from biblical reality. As Harlan Allison, who was a new wave science fiction writer, said, cover of dangerous visions, science fiction stories nobody dared publish up until this last century, to this last decade. The great, my own personal choice, Harlan Allison says, for the great seminal basis of all fiction is the Holy Bible. So what he believes is that all the great ideas and thought forms originally came from scriptures in fiction and in fantasy. And a classic example of that would be like J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy, which is actually a rewrite of good and evil using biblical principles that have so captured people today that Dungeons and Dragons is the number one game in the Western world. Fantasy world loosely based on the whole Middle Earth Tolkien character thing, which Dungeon Master got lost for a month. So into it. Okay, talking about um, 
some of the media characters. Uh, Wonder Woman is another one. Another one is the Incredible Hulk, in which Incredible could be used in its original sense. Unbelievable. Here is David Banner, who is zapped with cosmic rays and always manages to rip his shirt, but never his trousers. And uh, what actually is that? It is uh, technology extended into the realm of the fantastic or the really the mystical. He keeps trying to solve his problem. And, and, uh, and then, of course, we have the early ones. We had Captain Marvel who met with all of these ancients, you know, that looked like the emperor on the Empire Strikes Back, that would tell him, you say this, and Shazam, and you know, and there he is. So Superman is, is almost an, a classic example of psychic technology. His powers do not come from, you know, occult powers, but from the fact that he belongs to another order of being, which give him powers over normal mankind. And you could go through most of the cartoon characters on Saturday morning television that children watch, and you'll see classic examples of psychic technology. In the process of, as a matter of fact, once you see this, and the best way I could say to recognize psychic technology is to go through that series first, because I, if I just say the words, it doesn't mean much. But once you understand the, the idea behind it, then you can see it everywhere. The whole world is filled with examples of it. I have examples here. As a matter of fact, if somebody can bring me my little square case, I'll show you some examples of that from the media. This, uh, this article, Psychic Power, the Next Super Weapon. In the 1990s, a civil war may erupt between the non-psychic majority and a Palestinian-like band of psychic radicals. There is the concept of using psychic powers to zap computer disks to take over the economy, to uh, in, uh, influence weather, to uh, get inside the heads and the secrets of the world powers and use those secrets against them. Uh, if a psychic can knock out a bit or a byte on a computer tape and do it at will, and the deliberation could scramble all the computer systems in the world with his mind. And a uh, great deal of study on that. Here is a study from an earlier magazine, which was called, uh, um, what was it called? New Times. That's um, a study on military involvement with psychic studies. If it was possible, for instance, to find out what a military installation looked like without visiting it, then that would be indeed a good tool. Uh, then we have some examples in the nice cold hardwood of physics. Physics and mysticism. We have the dancing Wulai masters, and we have the Tao physics. Uh, we have the official UFO magazine. This has things like avatar power chance, guaranteed to bring results. And the results you can have is automobile, cash, respect, yacht, home, furs, appliances, color TV, Vacation theater, clothes, peace of mind, retirement, freedom, furniture, air conditioning, and gourmet food, as well as nightlife, diamonds, jet travel, security, fame, love, influence, and exclusive private schools. All of these things, friends, for an avatar power chant, which is guaranteed to bring results. Chant to win contest on page 50. Chant to win a legal action on page 54. Chant to become a psychic healer on page 136 to 147.
And then we have another one, in case you didn't like that one. The astonishing power of mind command. How to make others secretly do your bidding. It will only cost you eight ninety-eight. <laughs> Is this true? This amazing psychic perceptor brings you wealth, love, power beyond belief. And this will also give you freedom. Power to see and hear beyond walls and over great distances. Freedom from fear of voodoo or evil eye. And the joyous satisfaction of the answered prayer. Then we have more up front, magic power of witchcraft. Was a little more up front. That gives you infinite wealth, fine possessions. Arco books reveal the hidden mysteries of astrology in the Arco. Then we have the first article. New UFO religion holds the key to man's salvation. That is called up front. And then we have a lot of woodcuts from the early church to prove how historical this is. And then we have another article, How to Contact the Force, Cosmic Power of the Space Gods. And then we have a few more automatic mind command fans. In this one, uh, Alien Possession, Frightened Witnesses Reveal Horrors of Mind Control. And then a few more things, a testimony, a UFO saved my life. I used to be lost, and then a UFO <laughs> saved Helen. And she's pointing right to where it was. And then we have UFO abductions by spirits snatching aliens. So that's getting even closer. Thing. So there's a ton of these things. Um, that's what they are, friends, the liberators. That's what they look like. They sing Disney songs, When You Wish Upon a Star, backwards. The mother ship is the New Jerusalem, created from a New York ballroom chandelier. There it is, friends, the hope of the future. I forgot which side it is. I think it's that, so it doesn't matter. It turns around anyway, so it can land properly. <laughs> When uh, Ray Bradbury, who's a science fiction writer of the fan fantasy form, rather than the hardcore science fiction, which is technology extended, when uh, Isaac Asimov, who saw this movie, thought it was stupid. He loved Star Wars because it wasn't supposed to be science fiction. But he thought this one was stupid because people went around saying Einstein was right. It had nothing at all to do with the movie. And uh, Ray Bradbury was more mystic. When he saw this Close Encounters, he wept had a religious experience because he's more psychic technology, the more uh, mystical tied in with the technological. See that? What you're looking at then is the secular equivalent of answered prayer. This is second coming, done with bells and whistles. In my science fiction novel, I have a second coming. But it's not the real one. It's a fake one. And I have it take place Christmas Eve. And all the stars start coming down out of the sky and sing a Christmas cow. And everybody thinks it's the real thing. Here's one from one of your own papers here. The casting call. Motion picture talent wanted, Honolulu. March 2nd, 1980, Sunday Star Bulletin advertises. Full page ad, motion picture talent wanted. Beyond any thought, 
or experience you've ever imagined, Space Age Messiah. The production cost $100 million, filmed in holography, which is three-dimensional projection movie. Dancers, choreographers, and musicians, songwriters needed. Also specialists in computer graphics, ancient languages, brainwave simulation, anamorphic visual physics, biofeedback, pulse laser holographics, robotics, subliminal mind programming, that's an interesting one, multilingual computers, speech synthesizers, voice recognition systems, and astronomy, applying person. Hill in the Wine Village Dawn, 10 o'clock, bring your resume, press kit, or videotape to Temple of My God. And on the bottom in large print, Revelation 3.12. That is psychic technology. That's what we're talking about. We mentioned briefly Dungeons and da Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons is a fantasy game uh, which is very intricate in which you create characters or take on the role of characters armed with various magical powers and go out to do battles. Sometimes you take on the bad guy or the good guy and uh, you can get involved in it in real life fantasy gaming in which other people uh, have those powers and you go around um, uh, winning or losing depending on the rules of the particular game. In uh, some places now it's, it's being played live but you can get it just like chess on computer, the Temple of Afsai, or Date Stones of Rin, and they've got all these different simulation games where you can actually create a character and live in it. It's like a fantasy game that you live in. It's like pretending to be Clark Kent, who is really Superman. So in the daytime, you're just normal Clark Kent, but when you get back and you're in your game, you're a Dragon Master, or you're a Dungeon Master, you're such and such a thing. See? And, uh, it varies, the rules vary depending on what form of the game you're playing, but it is a major fantasy game which thousands, tens of thousands of kids are into. Probably here, there's some, I don't know. Um, any of you have played Dungeons & Dragons of any form, shape? If, uh, somebody who's played it, talking about the rules and stuff, but it's really a, a, an exceedingly complex game, mostly based on the Middle Earth characters which have been developed up. And you can get whole rules this thick of uh, all of the parameters of the characters or the powers or stuff you have. But what people have done today is made that, instead of a game, it's become a reality for some people. And you can actually get into having powers, like the, I do have a power sort of thing, you know, that. So anyway, those are examples of psychic technology. Um, I'm in the process now of getting a book together on this and putting collected a bunch of those things. What has happened is in the technological world we've become very, very aware of the supernatural world. And in all areas, I have a dentist and he's working on kinesiology and uh, he's working with people that uh, I can maybe show you that. Kinesiology is a muscle strength testing uh, discovery that shows that various influences we have in our environment literally can sap our strength. Certain kinds of uh, music, rock music for instance, about 89% of most of the music on the charts creates an instantaneous loss of two-thirds of your muscular strength, which we could demonstrate for you, perhaps if you're interested, not now because I don't have any tapes with me, but if anybody's got tape of something hard, I could put it on for you and demonstrate. Instantaneous loss of two-thirds of your muscular strength, so much so that if you were pressing weights, 
and you were lifting, say, 100 pounds, and I played this softly in your ear, you'd drop it right on your head, and you would not be able to control that loss of strength. Um, certain uh, forms of light, radiation we're exposed to or not exposed to, actually create damages on our physical being, and there's no obvious um, physical link. It's like we are beginning to discover that man is a spiritual being. He's not just a bundle of chemicals reacting to his environment. He has fields of energy around him that, that are influenced by, by speaking. You can say something to a person. You can smile and say, I think you're a rotten person. And their strength just goes down like that. So we're beginning to discover as we explore into the nature of reality around us, an underlying supernaturalness or an underlying spiritual universe that really parameters the physical universe in which we live. So what the Bible says about the spiritual world being the funda fundamental world is becoming now a discovery of regular technology. And now I know how to explain this, so they're digging into the old occult and mystical traditions to try and come up with an explanation for these things. Ignoring the way God designed man. See, I believe God designed man as a spiritual being. But we don't want to talk about that because it's embarrassing. You know, that comes from religious things. We talk about God and being personally responsible to God and all those things. We don't want to talk about that. We'd rather talk about the fork is with you. Eat spaghetti, use the fork, Luke. All right? That's uh, psychic technology and that. Um, not an explanation of it, it's just a description. Yeah? Can you define holistic healing and uh, how does medicine and drugs fit into psychic technology? Okay, can I define holistic healing or health and how does medicine and drugs fit into psychic technology? Uh, holistic health in its simplest form and nicest form is simply a concern for the health of the whole person. In other words, a concern bodily, uh, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually for the person. Being uh, holistic in your approach to health is simply a whole person care concept. But uh, as implemented today by AMA, they are afraid of bringing in Christian things, and that's kind of outlawed. But what is not outlawed is the, some of the occult and mystical uh, patterns and principles and techniques which are being imported wholesale into medicine is an answer to the spiritual and the emotional needs of people. So what happens then, and this is AMA ratified, they give uh, implicit credence and medical approval to techniques that will set you up for demon possession. And the uh, second part of the question, was, which was what? second part of the question was, how does uh, medicine and drugs fit into psychic technology? Pharmakia, which is the word used for witchcraft in scripture, is the use of drugs to induce religious experiences. I have here a study which I may be able to find for you if my filing system has not been disintegrated, uh, which it probably has been. But uh, the incredible amount of drugs that are used by the Western world, which is only... I'll give you the illegal ones first, and I'll give you the legal ones. Those of you who 
are aware of this know that the word pharmakia, from which we get our word pharmacy or pharmaceutical, is the word which is translated witchcraft or sorcery in the scripture. And Revelation, what is it, 18.23 says that by their sorceries or the use of drugs to induce religious experiences were the nations deceived. So I believe the use and abuse of drugs today to the vast chunk of drugs today, I think it was uh, mostly what they call psychotropic drugs, mind or mood altering drugs. Uh, drugs to pep you up, drugs to make you sleep, drugs to get you up and lay you down, you know. Well, I guess my filing system has been crashed. Somebody ripped off my psychic technology notes. Probably a psychic. Yeah. Well, I might have it in here. But I had a nice, juicy lot of statistics, which are very impressive, which I cannot find. Perhaps these are there. No, that's not there. No. Anyway, um, so I get for answering questions without a loaded file cabinet. <clears throat> I believe that Christians use too many drugs. And uh, I think um, the use of drugs as an answer to problems is really an extension of that word, in many cases, sorcery. Thank God has better ways of taking care of his children than some medication. I don't know. I just I just feel the more drugs we stay away from as Christians, the better it'll be. Now, you know, if you got a, you have to have drugs for this or that, I'm not gonna argue with I just feel this that uh, in the scripture there is give strong drink to him that is ready to perish. If you're dying, we'll give you some drugs. But uh, you ought not to have to live by them. There has got to be a better way. Matter of fact, have you ever studied the Hippocratic Oath? Those of you who are doctors, I pledge allegiance to Asclepius, and really a heavy-duty thing. You pledge allegiance to two Greek gods. Nice thing. I believe then that drugs are being used today as a means of of uh, influencing people's lives in a damaging way. And though there's probably some use for some forms of drugs, I doubt very much if uh, we use far too many drugs. Christians, there's got to be better ways than that. Yes? Question is, while on the subject of drugs and medicine. What is Christian science and how does that fit in? Christian science is an early example of a form of psychic technology. It is not Christian and it is not scientific. It was actually begun and founded by a man who was a science fiction writer. His name was Hubbard. And it is actually a system of attaining consciousness to such a high degree um, of understanding that normal problems with death and sickness are dealt with. And there are a real power is let loose. Keith Green was a Christian scientist before he became a Christian. He said in his home there was never any sickness at all. They were always, um, forgotten what they used the word, 
equivalent of prayed for, but it wasn't prayed for. Uh, administered. Uh, it is a form of psychic technology. The use of higher powers and forces and wisdom to... That's what yes, yeah. And that's why they don't die. <laughs> but anyway, um, it's a very powerful thing. And uh, it involves that and uh, Scientology too, which is a similar thing. They usually involved with the understanding of principles or patterns that will clear out the things that damage you or hurt you emotionally or mentally or spiritually that enable you to have power over your physical being. And um, Christian science is, form, is really a westernized form of Eastern thought. Okay, yes? Great amounts of spiritual deception Regarding the great amount of deceptions coming out of the West, was I referring to the six points of William Booth's prophecy? I'm sure that has integrally something to do with it. What we're going to do later as we look at this is to see how information without obedience creates deception. And that it is the foundation of deception. And therefore, the people who are the best at information are the most susceptible to being deceived. And we lead the world in propaganda. Nothing the communist bloc has is as sophisticated as the Western world's forms of propaganda. Have you ever watched some communist propaganda? It is very Mickey Mouse. Repetitive, you know. And it's, you know, most Western people who've watched commercials go, that's so dumb. Got to be much more subtle than that. But we are the best. We can sell you things without you knowing you're being sold. For instance, how many of you have ever seen this commercial on television? It's called the dishwashing commercial with Madge. <laughs> All right? Madge comes in. Her hands are always dishwashy hands, you know. She puts her hands in this bowl of liquid. She says, I don't know what I can do with my hands, Madge, because they're just so dishwashy. And Madge says to her, you need to wash your dishes in beep, which is the product. And, uh, and she says, on my hands, and she says, you're soaking in it. Ah, she says, pulling her hands out of it. And then she says, what you think she's saying is this. If you, if you use palm olive dishwashing liquid in your wash, you will have soft hands as you go about in your housework. That is not what the commercial says or promises. It promises you that as long as you keep your fingers in water that has palm olive in it, your hands will be soft. That's what it actually says. What you think it says is that if you use it just for washing, your hands will remain soft all day. It doesn't promise you that, and you could not see them. They're false advertising. It only promises as long as you keep your fingers in a liquid, they will remain wet and soft. <laughs> That's it. That's all it promises you. Now, an analysis of commercials is you could get a doctorate in that. You know, it is a, real, it is a study in incredibly sophisticated subliminal programming techniques. You walk into a supermarket, they play music to you. 
and your eyes change and you go buzzing along throwing things you never thought you'd ever buy and you are assailed by an entire structure even the layout of the aisles is designed to make you buy things you do not want we are very sophisticated in that because we live in it we don't think we are subject to it remember the sting you know what the sting is the sting is when you sell somebody a lie it's a con game right as so well presented by Redford and Newman and company, the way you sting people is this. You convince them that they are going to be ripped off by you. See? You set them up, and so the guy thinks, boy, this guy is so dumb. If I play my cards right, I'm going to really rip him off. And they make you think that they're dumb, and when you buy that, you've already bought most of the package. You'll say, we got this $10,000, and we don't know what to do with it, you know? Um, could you hold on to it for us? <laughs> yes? Uh, got one problem is that how are we going to get this 10000 out? We're going to have to get 1000 from someplace. Oh, it doesn't matter. I got 1000 Well, can you go and get that 1000 and we're going to get the ten? Sure, take it. Goodbye. Done. Ever watch the commercial? That's so stupid. That is such a stupid commercial. Oh, that is a dumb commercial. Mr. Chum, that guy that squeezes, Mr. Whippy, that squeezes it. What a stupid commercial that is. When you go into the supermarket, what sticks in your head but Chum? They are not dumb. Nobody spends $100,000 on a 60-second commercial to hire somebody who doesn't know what he's doing. You don't know how deeply influenced we are by media around us. When you find that out, you'll understand why. If anybody can trick the world, Western world can. We can do it. So if we get tricked, it is a trick indeed. Other questions? We got people waving five-minute signs. Three-minute warning is about to come down. Yes. What are some of the principles we can use to discern our own lives so that we'll be motivated by illumination or revelation? What are some of the principles we can use in our own lives so that we'll be motivated by revelation rather than illumination? The fundamental principle is the principle of, of dependence on God. Dependence on God eliminates pride. Pride is the chief block to the difference between discerning truth and error. You know that thing. If we're proud, we will not know the difference. The Bible says a wicked man cannot make a right decision. He cannot do it. He will always be confused. He'll say stupid things because his heart predisposes him to mental error. And as we develop that out, we see the simplest basic safeguard of learning to work by revelation is obedience, dependent, loyal obedience to what God says. Joy Dawson calls it doing the next thing. That's the simplest possible protection against that. Time is gone, good friends. Three minutes is shot down, and we will quit at this point. If you have any... There it is, something a little bit different this time with just questions and answers from folks in the uh, in the auditorium there with him. And uh, if you enjoyed that, good. Uh, don't forget to tell your friends once again and uh, invite them to listen to these podcasts. We thank you for tuning in. This is Jim Patton, your host, saying I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.